now the podcast starts. Hello, dear listener. Welcome back. If you're rejoining us to the podcast where we talk about horror, sometimes we talk about other things, and more often than not, we swear. I am T.D. Velasquez, as usual. As always, you are welcome to call me Dan, and today I have the great pleasure of being joined by the writer Ian Winterton. Hello, Ian. Hello, Dan. How you doing? Just the two of us today. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very well, mate. Um, how are you? Pretty good, actually. Um, finally, finally, got a gap in between scripts, so I'm. I watched The Crown all day, which is the most unhorror adjacent thing you could ever think of. <laughs> right, I've never watched The Crown. It's very Although... well. well uh, I don't know. We could probably talk for. I'm slightly tempted. First two, amused... the first season is brilliant. And right. the second season's pretty good. And the rest of it is definitely prestige television. Um, and even this latest season, which is all the 90s, Princess Diana and stuff, still has, like, episode three is all about Mohammed El-Fayed and Dodie fired And it starts in 1946 and sort of ends with Dodie meeting Diana. And it's absolutely brilliant hour of television. You could probably right, just okay. go straight in and watch that because it's a standalone. Right. Okay. It's, it's a, it does a lot, it does that a lot. It has sort of standalone little mini plays. I mean, it's written by a playwright. But anyway, people aren't tuning in to listen to us talk about the Crown. Although while um, while we're on the, on the Crown, it does always make me think about an American wolf in London. Do you remember the credits at the yeah, end? Yeah, yeah. It me too. It does actually. Yeah, that is very true. Nineteen eighty-one. I always know what year. They got married because it's it's nineteen eighty one, and yeah. So they <laughs> the, the the final screen of credits at the end of American Wolf in London. It has that wonderful bit where it says, um, "The usual thing about um, all persons depicted in this motion picture are fictional, and any le- resemblance to any um, real persons, living, dead, or undead, is purely coincidental." Yeah, and then underneath it says the producers would like to extend their heartiest best wishes to Lady Diana and Prince yeah. Charles on the occasion of their marriage. Yeah, yeah. No. I always found it spooky because in one of the first kind of um, encyclopedic guides to cinema that I read as a teenager, it listed the key films of each year up to that point, and. American Wealth was one of the key films of, of 81 and right next to it was Chariots of Fire. Oh uh, well. And Chariots of Fire also has a relevant credit. Well it's 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 in this episode I just mentioned because one of right. the things that happens is is Dodie persuading which I didn't really realize and do you know what it's made me do? I've never seen Chariots of Fire so right. I ordered it for 1 pound 30. Right, wow. On, on Amazon, I, the DVD. I watched it on my thirtieth birthday, Ian. It's one of the, it was one of those films that had always been there through my whole life and some I'd never seen. Yeah, and well I, I'm I, I'm fifty and I'm about to watch it when it arrives right. next week. <laughs> well that'll be an interesting chat. But yeah, one of the first things you see is that credit executive producer Dodie Fired. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they get and I I'm here's my first clang of the episode. I, I interviewed Lord Putnam. Uh, All right. About twenty years ago, over the phone. Oh, excellent! And he was my main memory is he was really enthusiastic about the sound mix on a. Oh yeah, I had to go. I was interviewing him about his. I think he had to list his five test 
top war films or something. And Saviour Private Ryan, he he said he always gets people to watch it in his cinema at his house. Um, and uh, because the sound the sound mix is like one of the most perfect cinematic experiences ever. Right. Which, uh, okay. which our I'll be talking. One of my things tonight we'll be talking about sound design. Uh, and me too. If we, if, so... we, if we segue into uh, why we're here. <laughs> yes. Attention to the crew of the commercial vessel Nostromo. A word of warning. of warning. A word of warning. Alien. Coming this summer to a theatre near you. Well, so, um, as the listener will probably already know if you've seen the title of the episode, today's a revisitations episode, as Ian and I have done on three separate occasions with Kirsty for one of them. Uh, we'll be discussing one of the Alien franchise, but we're going to be discussing the the classic original. And because it's a movie that so many people love and, and is endlessly talked about and written and spoken about, we decided to approach it, or Ian suggested, we approach it in a slightly different manner um, than our, our standard just kind of chats around the movie. We're going to... I think the listener can take it as read that we both love the movie Alien from 1979, directed by Ridley Scott, and we could both go on endlessly about all the things we love about it, but we've chosen to limit ourselves to our five favourite scenes or moments or elements, um, uh, each from the movie. We're going to go through the list, and Ian's rule that was given to me was that neither of us were allowed to choose the chestburster sequence, because that's kind of too obvious. Um... And it, it is the the major iconic moment of the movie. So what we're going to do is run down in um, starting at number five, uh, both comparing our fives and then going forward, um, obviously down to one. And if ever, each time, Ian, we reveal one of our choices... If you if I say something and you know that you've already mentioned it, but it's higher up your list, yeah, we'll we'll wait to talk about it when we come to it on your list. If you know uh, what okay, I mean. that makes um, sense. Yeah, because um, I, I I just when you said oh let's do Alien, I was a bit like, oh, I literally was I literally went, oh Alien, like and it's weird because it is literally one of my favourite films, but I just thought how the hell do we talk about Alien because it's easy to talk about things when you can criticize them or critique them with this. I genuinely think this is almost a perfect film. And, mm. and then I went, and then I, as soon as I thought, what if we get into the absolute little granular, at a granular level, like the, the, the stuff that when you really know a film really well, you go like the first thing that popped into my head was my number five, which was when uh, Lambert says, I like gray pink. When they're walking through the <laughs> okay, just I'll just just I'll before just, we get into the details yeah, yeah. of that, just just to warn listeners, just assume we're going to spoil anything and everything about yeah, this movie. Yeah, at some point if in the film, not... if you haven't seen this, Lambert says, "I like griping." 
Yes, I, I'm yeah, imagine we're going to go 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 into <laughs> to, to greater spoiler areas than that, but it could happen at any point. So basically, we're assuming that you've seen the movie. If you haven't, go watch it before you listen to this. It's actually on Disney Plus. So yeah. if you've got that, you have the movie, even if you didn't know. So, um, so your number five is I like griping. Yeah, my number five. Oh, before yeah. you, yeah. I'll I'll let you go first, but I'll just let you know what's coming up for me. Um, so my number five is uh, Ashes Unnatural Run um, but I'll explain oh, yeah, that yeah. in a minute that is um, good so I like griping Ian That's yeah well, well it's kind of it, it was a thing that really popped in my head ever since I watched this really you know god whenever I first watched it well I could I could wank on about when I first watched it because it was a really magical experience, which I don't think I've mentioned on this podcast before. Remember, I have. But um, I think, uh, did you watch it in black and white? In black and white, oh. and I didn't know what I was going to watch, and it was in my bedroom, and I was 13. Okay. And it was sort of, I was allowed to watch TV, but I was in bed. And, and it was, you know, really small black and white, and the picture was one of those ones, and it had a big round aerial on the back. That I had to sort of, you had to sort of touch and just get just right, and then yes, the, picture, I have. the snow, the snow would stop, and it'd be really clear, yep. but black and white picture. And then, as I settled down, I went, "What's this?" And it was like, "Oh, that's space." Well, that will probably be all right. And it was the weird music, and it was literally, literally the opening, the opening shot of Alien with the Nostromo going through. And I watched the entire thing and was terrified and gripped in equal measure and i kind of vaguely knew there was a thing with aliens and eggs because i think right. i'd read a comic strip in white dwarf of all things the role-playing magazine which had a sort right. of traveler the role-playing game comic strip so i think i was aware of it as a thing people had referenced but i'd never really seen it before and so to watch it on black and white like it was beamed to me like i was there because it yeah, actually yeah. works really well in black and white. Um, I can imagine, uh, and and you know, there's so much kind of retro futuristic technology in Alien, yeah. which maybe wasn't entirely intended to look retro at the time, but it's aged wonderfully well. I think all yeah. those kind of blocky little monitors that they're looking mm. at, um, and fuzzy images, and I, I also saw it for the first time on a very similar TV, but it was a color one, and I had to adjust. The uh, the aerial, but <laughs> yes, um, and I seem to remember um, that I was so frightened by it. But my dad walked in at one point because uh, my grandma was sharing, uh, staying with us at the time. So so me and my mum and dad had to all sleep in the same room. But luckily, <laughs> Alien was on before my mum and dad came to bed. So I was sitting there in the room watching it and halfway through the film, my dad just walked in and saw how frightened I was and said, it's all right, I'll turn it off if you want. I was like, no, no, leave it on. And he went, Dan, you are insane. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. just come back to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and weirdly, um, I now remember as well that before I saw Alien, I, I'd written about it because one of my first year assignments in secondary school was to write the Encyclopedia of Horror. And so A was alien, but I've not seen it. So I, I, I wrote an inaccurate... <laughs> I knew that they came from inside you, but I didn't know how the eggs worked. 
Right. So I, I've just made up that they enter your body as microbes and then grow inside you, which is sort of... Which would be less, less cinematic. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, uh, Alien Covenant. <clears throat> Cough. Uh, anyway. Yes, that's for another um, podcast. We must not stray beyond Alien. No, no. Stick to Alien. There'd be monsters. Um, so... so <laughs> So, Ian, why is I Like Griping one of your moments then? Well, it kind of, this kind of uh, metastasized from I Like Griping into, as I was watching it, at first I'll say, re-watching it, I just finished my script and I was like, do you know what, I'm, it's on Disney, I can't even be bothered to go and get the DVD, it's on Disney. <laughs> to watch a DVD, I'd have to plug things in, go and get the PS4 from upstairs and plug it in, I thought, it's on Disney. And it's weird because we've just got a new TV and it's, you know how really good HD, it's like a modern TV. It's our first mm. TV in about six years and modern stuff looks weird on it. Because right. Look, you know, you know how stuff's a bit too clear. Yes. Well, mod, this mod, was... Modern stuff looks really weird on it. But I've, Because but, it, I, but, it's shot in high def, but yeah, also yeah. you're so seeing it in like, high so def. It's a bit like, oh, mm. somebody's just got their fucking iPhone out. Yeah, even yeah. though it's like the best cinematography ever, but it looks weird. I, I mean, I think that's why I didn't enjoy The Witch the first time I saw it, to be honest, because I saw it on a TV, yeah, a, a kind of huge high def TV, and it just it felt too videoy. Took you felt, out of it, but weird, yeah. weirdly, I was when I put it on on Disney, the title card of 20th Century Fox was so grainy. I thought I was going to have the opposite problem, a bit like when I watched The Exorcist on Amazon a couple of right. years ago. And it was like, my God, this is the worst print I've ever seen. But then I think we got the best of both worlds is it looked amazing, but wasn't so crystal clear that it ruined everything. Because I remember yes. watching Aliens on Blu-ray and going, oh, I love this film, I love this film. I watched it on Blu-ray at my friend's house. I was like, that bit looks like Thunderbirds now because yeah. I can see the models and I couldn't see the models before. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, but this was just like the perfect experience. I was, It was an afternoon so I was, I was not working i was not writing and it was in between it was just i just had my lunch and then just lay on the sofa and watched it and made made notes and just thought it's like it was like seeing the film anew so i thank right. you for suggesting wow. this now so enthusiastic well, about about this movie all over again because it was just perfect the only even though i've seen it so many times the only time i found myself going oh i'm kind of i've seen this too many times now was right at the end like right when she's in the pod and i was okay. like i could probably turn off now even though i didn't because i literally know this frame by frame mm. i know every frame of this and there's not any surprises whereas the other stuff it's quite a dense movie when it comes to all the different dialogue and different scenes and yeah yeah, yeah. watching the different plot lines so um but yeah so so i like griping always stuck in my head ever since i was 13 but then i just came to appreciate this the sardonic tone and then it just made, and, it, and I was watching it this time even more than others. Lambert's, I, th I genuinely think she's the best actor. I mean, everyone's mm. really bloody good. I genuinely think Veronica Cartwright is the best actor in the whole in the whole film. She's amazing, it's... and she's she and she embodies what Ridley Scott was aiming for, which was and and the screenwriters, you know, when they when they did um, Dark Star, that mm. it's oil rig workers, it's blue collar in space. It's the opposite mm -hmm. of 2001. And she is the most perfectly cast because she she just seems like a real person in space and these things are happening to her. Um, yeah. And so so 
So I like griping, but also the other one was I love the way she goes, Oh God during the during the chest burst. Oh wait, the chest burst, yeah. And then, um, then and, and I I believe Ridley Scott didn't really tell them what was gonna happen, so she got a face full of sheep's blood or lamb pig's blood, whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. And so yeah, that yeah. and I also always love that bit where she goes, Ah because she's just <laughs> hit in the face with John Hurt's blood. And I just I just but just in every scene, like her reactions to you know when when um uh when there's when the when the guys are sort of going on you know i know what i want to eat and i'm making trying <laughs> to go a bit blue and she goes oh god but then has a smile and it's just so well acted it's like so i mean all of them are brilliant but she's just i can't take my eyes off her she's absolutely yeah. brilliant and then this is where it comes into sound design which I guess he's my number. He's, he's probably a second second choice of mine as a sound. Well, player. and I, I want to talk about the score as well. So, so yeah. maybe leave that. Well, to no, that well, not 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 the score. Um, I didn't put well, the score, uh, but, that, but the actual well, sound okay. design. And it, mm. it's just, but just, just Veronica Cartwright's death screams chill mm. me to the bone every single time when she's going. It's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> it's absolutely. Yeah chills me to the bone every single time and this time so i had the tv turned up really loud on my new tv it got me all over again properly it's horrible brilliant absolutely and i've always felt like that and um the way that you don't really see her dead you you see her legs kind of swinging with blood Mm. dripping down them don't you yeah um and that that reveal and then ripley when she looks at uh Parker and um, Lambert's corpses. She visibly shudders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but I think you're right about Veronica Cartwright. I, I don't think there's a bad performance in the film. Well, they're they're, they're all amazing. Yeah, and yeah. They're amazing actors. Oh, yeah, I'm, not, generally... I'm not casting aspersions on any of oh, the cast. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but no, but everybody Cartwright... in it is everybody in it is generally amazing. Uh, you know, in everything you see, but Veronica Cartwright is probably the only one who was already like an experienced genre actor. Oh, right. Um, Because she was in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Of course, yeah, yeah. um, And the ending of that is a moment of terror that's entirely sold by her. Mm. I've not seen that movie for a couple of decades and really must. That's one for a future episode because I haven't seen that for about 25 years at least. Right, yeah, yeah. That was probably due a... Similar for me. No, it's great. Yeah. Um, But no, she is absolutely fantastic. And actually one of her lines and the way she delivers it factors into one of my later choices. Um, But I won't spoil that for now. Yeah. Um, So. um, What's your number five? My my number five, as I said, is Ashes on Natural Run. Oh, yes. So, So one of the best things in the movie is the character of Ash played brilliantly by Ian Holm but the fact that um, when the script was rewritten by the producers uh, Walter Hill and David Geiler they mm-hmm. took Dan O'Bannon and, and Ronald Shuzak's script um, and re uh, you know revamped it the main thing that they added that wasn't previously in it at all and Dan O'Bannon admitted this and, and said it was a good move they added the character of Ash and the whole kind of plot line that there was a crew member there who was 
who had his own ulterior um, motive and, and um obviously it, it's an, a stunning reveal when it, it becomes clear that he's a droid uh, later mm-hmm. in the movie but that i've chose this moment where they've landed on the planet and um dallas and lambert and kane have gone to investigate the the crashed ship and uh, in the meantime uh, parker and brett are in the engine section um and ash is all on his own and he's just he's kind of communicating with them over screens but once they get into the ship uh you know there's no communication possible so you get a lot of these nice moments where ash is just kind of sitting around with not much to do um and you get little hints that he's a bit different and my favorite is just this bit where he just does a little jog on the spot oh yeah yeah literally a second to to just uh, to just um, to, to wake himself up or something, and they sort of foreshadow. I thought when I saw that, I thought that really foreshadows when he does his weird spinning. Yes, like yeah, like, which is always really yeah, disturbing. Yeah. Well, and I did watch. Uh, unlike you, and I didn't get the chance to watch the whole film again for this one, but obviously I know the film really well, and I, I did go back and rewatch all the bits that I'd chosen. Um, I actually wrote a longer list and then narrowed it down to five after I'd watched everything. Um, And looking back at this little jog, um, it's a really quick moment and he doesn't really do anything, um, you know, that that would be impossible for a human. It's not sped up or anything. He just does a quick movement. Um, Mm. But there's a very subtle, excuse me, very subtle element of the sound design that they've just put this little... A sound of movement on that sound makes him sound a bit more rubbery or synthetic um to use that word mm. um and it's it just i mean ash is different all the way through and you're always thinking what's going on with him and there's that great conversation where um uh ripley says i don't trust him mm. um, and things like that and also I'm sure we'll talk about the dialogue style later on. Um, everybody's talking in this kind of supernaturalistic, uh, semi-improvised way. Mm. But Ash comes out with these ornate, slightly weird sentences. But he's like a um, C-3PO. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and he ends a couple of times. He says something like... Uh, um, he asks a, a question but ends it with the word yes. Like, mm-hmm. so now I'll get back to my work. Yes. Yeah. Um, which, like, nobody ever does that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Except weird, uh... weirdly, Brian Glover's character in Alien 3 does it. Um, <laughs> and I think that shows that uh, that's the same writerly hands at work, possibly. Um, yeah. But I, I, I don't know anybody who, outside of an Alien movie, who, who speaks like that. Um, there's that lovely barbed little scene where um, he's examining the the face hugger, mm. um, uh, which has not come off Kane's face yet, and, and and Ripley just kind of gently interrogates him and says, you know, you you broke quarantine when you let him on board and things like that, and the sort of wonderfully kind of passive aggressive mm. way he, he he responds to her and and. 
anyway, that's that's moving away from the moment that I chose. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but, moving into uh, one yeah. of my moving into one of my choices actually is is the whole. Well, it's almost like the whole Ripley Ash plot line is just really oh, nicely okay. done. Um, okay, well, we'll talk but, about it. But, yeah, but, but I've got it down as my as my number five. But uh, but um, maybe I can make it my next one. Um, but just you mean? Do you mean your number one? Well, like, so yeah, number my number five. one. We're not doing them. In, right. We're not doing them in a sort of. This is my definite favorite thing. Um, right. Okay. Just they're all they're all good. But yeah, no. Just I had as my next. Well, one of my choices is that whole scene really. But just the you do your job and I'll do mine. Um, yes. <laughs> and, but, but then, then it's weird because all these times I've watched that, watched this film, I do not know how many times. God, I mean, it might be pushing a hundred. It's, it's probably you know it's got watched a lot over the years. Um, but just the fact he drinks milk at the end, oh, right. which weirdly yeah. we always now we take the piss out of. Could Ridley Scott envisage of nothing other than white fluid inside his androids, no matter what? You know, right. even it's not just in this universe. It's in it's in his new thing on, uh, you know the um, oh, what's it called? The one about the androids bringing up humans. Uh, oh, the raised planet. by wolves. Yeah, raised by wolves. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So the androids in that have got white fluid when they for blood. Um, right. Yeah, but I just I was just like, oh, it's very weird. He drinks some milk. Is can I read anything into that? Is that sort of some sort of android juice, or is he just drinking some milk? Did they did they did they have any idea that that was anything other than him drinking milk when they were doing that scene? Is there any intent? Yeah, in it might just be a clever bit of foreshadowing because yeah, I'm pretty sure it probably is milk when he spits it all out. They've just is. got it. Ian home. Got to loads just of milk. Drink around. a load of milk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> drink some milk. But yeah, yeah, no, no. But I just, I just, I just like the little. Every time they sort of pick up on a, on a sort of the Ripley sort of uh, raising suspicion. Her sort of, she's the she's the one who's suspicious, who's more suspicious than the others. Because um, mm-hmm. one thing, I mean, this is this isn't on my list, but one thing that's really interesting to watch is just how it's structured, how certain things in a screenplay. You probably, you know, the fact that you don't know who's, you're not entirely sure who's going to die next, mm-hmm. because it's it's played with structure in such a subtly clever way, in that you don't quite know whose story it is. It doesn't start with Ripley centre stage. I mean, yeah, spend yeah, a long yeah. time looking at John Hurt, getting yeah, you know, doing brilliant work of waking up, <laughs> convincing yeah. Like, uh, and and then and then you automatically kind of think, oh, it's probably uh, Tom Skerritt's. He looks like he should be the hero because he's he's got a beard and he's the guy and he's and he's the captain All-American. and he's the and he's only one who gets he gets time alone. It's it, he's like everybody else throughout the movie is talking over each other and interrupts, whereas he is the one who has the authority to go. I've got something important to tell you, and everybody goes quiet. And yeah, yeah. What to do? Yeah, yeah. No, I th- and I think I think when he gets killed, that's a really good. That really is like. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's really interesting seeing the deaths because they're so well, they're so familiar to us. We, you know, we know exactly all of them, but it's weird seeing how they, how they, you know, because they've they've got the sort of. I mean, it's one. This is again one of my things, but it's they've they've got 
the way they go somebody's going to die at this point somebody's going to people are going to die in this film you know and it's very clever how you know if you haven't seen the film you don't they manage to make you not be able to expect exactly who it's going to be and exactly when it's going to happen mm. you know because they have that whole bit with the dead face hugger which is brilliant and and no yeah, one yeah. dies and then and then uh but yeah yeah but uh but yeah, one of one of one of my lines is just one of my one of my one of my uh, later picks is you know is a link into a one of the deaths, but it's not okay. through the deaths in a way. But although thinking about it, it, probably is because it's a way of building suspense. But anyway, we'll get on to that. So uh, yes, what's your what's your next pick? So my number four, yeah, is uh, hang on. I've put them in ascending order of, I, I kind of wrote them all down at random, yeah, and then and then gave them an order. So I have to keep looking up and down the list. My number oh, yeah. four is my lucky star. <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, I remember the one of the you first times I watched me. this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, one of the first times I watched it was with my youngest sister Eileen. Um, and I remember when Ripley comes out and starts singing to herself, she went, oh, she's losing it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just think it's quite, I think that's what is happening. Uh, you know, she's in a high stress situation. She's also mm. breathing pure oxygen or something. She's just got a spacesuit on. Yeah. She's, she, you know, um, she's trying to keep it together. and She's trying to distract herself. Um, I think it's just a really unusual move at the end of a movie mm. when all the other characters have gone your your hero character then freaks out I can see, you know, in quite a lot of movies something happens to them in the middle of act two or something which they then come back from but um, I, I, I love that she seems so vulnerable but at the same time mm. she's also um, through that it's a really systematic approach she takes to how, how am I going to fight the alien when I'm on my own with no weapons or anything? And so, yeah. well, I'll get a spacesuit on, I'll get a, a spear gun, um, a piton gun thing, and I'll decompress the chamber and, and knock it into space. And and then the bit where once she starts to wake the alien up and it starts to crawl out of the kind of um, yeah. the duct that it's been nestled in. Mm. She knows that she's got to stay there at the controls, but she doesn't want to f totally freak out, so she just turns around so she can't see it. Which <laughs> I think it, it, it's just such a lovely move. You know, she's on a swivel chair, much as yeah. I am now, listener. Yeah. And she just kind of pivots away from it for ages yeah. and just keeps singing to herself. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that, that, I mean, she totally sells everything she does, doesn't she? But yeah, she totally sells that just the she's terrified but she's got whatever it is that makes you know not every human has it but humans do have mm -hmm. it that ability you know calm under fire that ability yeah, yeah. to have a bit of ice in your bit of ice in your veins that means you you scared shitless after but you uh yes you have the fight not the flight um gene and she convinces completely that she's got enough enough of that that you don't think, oh, this is corny. I mean, I guess yeah. if I guess Lambert is the opposite. Lambert very convincingly goes to pieces and won't get out of the way. Um, well, and you have to have both 
of yeah, those yeah. things in this kind of movie, don't you? You have to yeah, have yeah. someone who tells the audience just how scary the situation is. And then somebody mm. else who who, rec- who represents rising above it, being able to take control of it. Mm. But what I love about that moment at the end is that it's kind of both those things at once. She is taking control of the situation, but she is also manifestly terrified in a way that yeah, yeah. she's not been earlier in the movie, you know. And um, she does go through various levels of stress and distress, mm. but quite often she seems cold-hearted. Um, she's particularly tough she's obviously quite tough but from the in this scene the moment she steps out of that um kind of wardrobe where she's been hiding Mm. um she immediately goes okay and you can hear it in her voice yeah yeah of of how she just you know she doesn't want to be there you know she wants to be anywhere but there she probably wishes she'd not made it onto the shuttle and she'd been blown up with the rest of them. Yeah, in, in a weird way, the performances remind me, probably not uncoincidentally, considering when it was made, uh, of like the sort of naturalistic way, you know, in Jaws, where it's, a, mm. you know, it's 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 happening to real people. It's one of the magic and one of the yeah. sort of thing that makes Jaws work. And this is Jaws in space in lots of ways, isn't it? And Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. Which yeah, yeah. Ridley Scott, you know, apparently watched over oh, and wow. over again. Yeah. To, as before shooting, you know. Oh, wow, and I think really? that, that that really contributed to the supernaturalism. Super, mm. not supernatural, but the extreme naturalism of it. The yeah, yeah. core kind of approach of the performances and everything. I th- I think I've recently rewatched Texas Chainsaw. Mm. And I think that it's an amazing piece of work. Um Alien has a sliver more of traditional things like character arcs and and things mm. like a, its approach to character is a bit more structured than mm. Texas Chainsaw which uh, which really does feel uncomfortably like just watching a bunch of random people yeah. wander into a terrible situation. Yeah, but, we should do that. Um, I've got the DVD of it because I won it in a thing, and I've but I've still never watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre apart from when I watched it when I was eighteen, and I found right. in a I think I might have said this before, but in a double bill with uh, before it was some film called Bad Taste, all right, by some unknown director called Peter Jackson. That's- and it's one hell of a double bill. So we watched that, and that was hilarious. And we were all 18, six formers. And then we watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I remember two of my female friends were crying, and one of them took her glasses off so she couldn't see the screen. And right. I watched it and was like, that was horrible. I don't think I... And, I, you know, I'm a, I'm, I love my horror films and scary films, but I found it distressing and didn't want to watch it again. So it would be interesting to see what yeah, 50-year-old yeah. me makes of it like because it is you know it is regarded as an amazingly well-made film well uh, having just re-watched it i think it stands yeah. up and that there's plenty to say um i've also re-watched some of the later texas <clears throat> chainsaw films and, and those make for interesting comparison but that's way yeah. off topic but yeah, what yeah. Are, but Nat- it, well naturalism the, the rele- in horror yeah but the relevance to alien is that i think there is yeah, there's a bit more in the script in terms of characters who they're friends with, you know, what their kind of plot roles are. Mm. But it's all convincingly covered, disguised with the improvisational dialogue um, yeah. 
and and the kind of the reality of the environment you do still just feel like you're just watching people wandering around at work yeah which is yeah. what alien is it's a it's a workplace movie mm. you know the uh the nostromo is i mean they do live there but um only because they work there mm-hmm. they you know they're heading home they're not on holiday they're not going for a road trip like the chainsaw kids um you know it is just a day at work and there's that wonderful bit right very near the beginning when dallas tells them that they've been ordered off course to investigate the distress signal Mm-hmm. And Parker says, "Yeah, I'm not going to do that unless they pay me some more money to do that. That's not part of my contract." And then Ash says, "No, actually, it is. And if you don't do it, you won't have any money at all. They'll Big forfeit you. You'll shirts. forfeit." Yes, <laughs> and, and, and Parker immediately goes, "Okay, we're going in, aren't we?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's all part of that seventies naturalism, which you know, mm-hmm. Exorcist is in that. Yeah. And that sort of yeah. thing as well, which is it's I guess maybe it's a reaction to sixties grand you know, brilliant brilliant in their own way, but sort of grand horror of the sixties. Yeah, I also got I Rosemary's Baby, think... we've got every, every everything you can think of in the seventies is kind of very, very real. I I think I, I might be wrong. Uh, maybe this is oversimplifying it, but I think the change in the seventies has a lot to do with the fact that um, cinematography and, uh, and technological upgrades allowed shooting to happen without studio lights. So you got more shooting on location. Yeah, yeah. You got more shooting on the fly. So filmmakers were able to develop a more kind of natural... Um, uh, a, a more kind of natural kind of offhand way of... Uh, yeah. of, of setting up scenes and things, and you also got filmmakers like Robert Altman, who you know, whose nineteen seventy movie, Mash, of course, featured Tom Skerritt as one mm-hmm. of the leads. Yeah, um, and his stuff is really emblematic of the decade, really, in, in terms of yeah, the way yeah. the characters interact. But so, what you got in Alien, interestingly, is it is an entirely studio movie set on another world and in space yeah but filmed and acted as if they've just gone down the road as if it's nashville or something and they're just shooting people talking to each other yeah yeah um um although having said that you know they do that but they also make it still look beautiful which is um you know it's not like a shaky cam um home movie nightmare yeah which um it you know, and the, I I think it was still important to to cinematographers. It it was a long way away from the time when uh, film the kind of location filming would become so easy that you could just pick up a camera and go, and, and things still had a kind of beauty to them, even if it was depicting real life and it was supernaturalistic. I mean, the cinematographer David Watkin was mm-hmm. um uh the master of that really you know he, he shot in natural light um but his movies were always incredibly beautiful so mm-hmm. yeah 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 so uh so is it my go or your go next um it's uh it's your go again i think what's your number three ian my number three well we mentioned it before but just uh sound design in general 
But the, the thing that really made me pen to paper, apart from, like I said, Lambert screams over the comm when she's dying, which chilled me to the bone, but also the, the when um, Dallas is in the, when Dallas is in the, uh, in the uh, ducts and they're telling him to close the, for some reason, close the doors behind him. And the way the Irish shut with that scraping sound is uh, oh, yeah, like a guillotine, yeah. basically. He's, mm. uh, he's genius. Um, but also the computers clunking around, you know, the, chuk, 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 the, the yeah, noise yeah, yeah. computers make. It's, it's, uh, so just, just, and, and then it's, that's before you even get to the music, which is amazing as well. But just the actual, well, my num- my the actual sound design. The- just the sound design is just my number amazing. three is the score actually so we can mm. go on to talk about the music in this bit so yeah, yeah 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 take it away yeah yeah well, well yeah well just just i mean i guess i basically just it's just a brilliantly designed soundscape it, it really utterly is. convincing mm. and it's yeah um it kind of it's almost it's, they're not quite brave enough to go it's uh it's silent in space, so you can't hear anything. But it, it kind of pretty much, it almost is because it just has a sort of. It's almost like you can hear what's inside the spaceship when we're seeing yeah, yeah, outside. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then it has that. It? For some reason, there's that heartbeat. That you know, the engine makes a very heartbeat kind of. And it, oh yeah, yeah. And it's hard to tell what's actually on the soundtrack and what's actually noises from the spaceship, but just in general, yeah, the whole, I, the whole, I the whole environment sounds real to complement the visuals i do remember afterwards <laughs> the i remember that the critic john brosnan wrote a very positive review of the movie but he did also say but as a science fiction fan i do wish that a movie whose tagline was in space no one can hear you scream would have made less noise in the space scenes <laughs> but, um, but you're right, though. That when the Nostromo comes past at the beginning, yeah, it isn't kind of a Star Wars. It is yeah. like you're hearing the internal noise yeah, of the it's engines. Just going, yeah, it's almost it's basically a bit like you'd shoot a submarine. Like yeah. whenever yeah. they show a submarine underwater, you kind of hear what's inside the submarine rather than the nothing noise that a submarine would make. Yeah, yeah, and you hear the sonar as well. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. As soon as you've mentioned it a couple of times, just with Lambert's death screams, which Mm. I agree with you, are incredibly disturbing. Um, I'm asking this just because it gets said a lot. Did they they strike you as sexual? Uh... Because they, they they never did me to be honest, and I think I you know I first watched this movie as a hormonal teenager, but um, no, I mean I uh, could, that I've, just didn't I've occur to me. I've heard before. that before as well, and it's a bit like I don't think to the point where you could say oh they're being dodgy or they're definitely intended it to sound sexual any more mm. than I don't know Dog Tanyon running a, running along in uh, Dog Tanyon's sounded sexual. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> You didn't expect me to talk about Doug Tanyan. Just we used to always say that when we were kids. Wait, <laughs> Juliet, Juliet, <laughs> right. running along. Um, the the Muska hounds are we sounded, talking? Yeah, the Muska hounds. Yeah. It sounded right. sounded like they were doing it. Um, right. But uh, but anyway, <laughs> that's a tangent I didn't expect to pop in my head. But no, I, I guess 
I guess I didn't because it sounds like someone being killed horribly. Yeah, it, basically. It so, and I, I, I mean, and I don't know. Yeah, I, what, I think what sometimes I seeing it as well is I don't think you'd. It's weird because the alien was just wasn't established as a creature in our heads, and it's weird how little you see of it. This thing that we know what it looks yeah, like so yeah. much from other films and from other media. But the fact is, I don't think you'd actually design her death like that because it's a bit like now we'd probably... I was there going, why didn't we hear that of the right. thing taking a brain out? Because that's what we've got right. used to. But the mm -hmm. fact is, this alien seems to do something much weirder. Or, well, not weirder, just just kill people. But the fact is, is she is she just hyperventilating because she's about to die? Seems to yeah, take, yeah. You know, but then it doesn't seem to... I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just weird because it's not as established as a, you know, here comes the here comes the xenomorph. What he does is he uh, sticks a thing in your brain and you die in a second. Um, it's a lot more. You know, the noises don't quite compute with the sort of standard xenomorph that we've kind of got in our heads now. Well, um, obviously it was the first film, and mm. they weren't thinking about future films either. Um, but I, I think they deliberately. I think they probably at the script level had a definite idea what the alien was doing. But mm. they've made that vaguer as as they edited the movie because mm. it helped the movie. So you know th there is the extended cut where you see that the alien has not killed Brett and it's not killed Dallas and it impregnates them and turns them into eggs. Oh, of course, to, yeah, yeah. Um, so presumably it would do that to the other crew members as well but at the same time it doesn't you don't know what it does to Lambert but it doesn't seem to have done that to uh, Parker he looks definitely dead um, yeah well, yeah. So, well, from his from his POV the the jaw went into his brain didn't it oh well I always um, I mean that that sequence is very quickly shot and I always mm. thought that it um, went into his chest actually but oh, maybe. I could be wrong um, I'll tell you something about that scene that I always thought um, before the alien kills him uh, Parker shouts something to Lambert um, and to me it always sounded like he went very northern England for a minute and said get out of the road to her which <laughs> we say meaning you know get out of the way but yeah, yeah, yeah. To, when I looked at the script the line is apparently get out of the room which is oh, right. just kind of struck me as oddly disappointing i like the, the the colloquialism of it but also just get out of the room seems like a weirdly functional thing yeah. to say about like wouldn't he just say go or something but yeah. we live on a spaceship what room <laughs> <laughs> yes um, yeah yeah uh, but um yeah yeah no no i mean um but just in general just the uh i just, Whatever's happening to her doesn't sound good. But yeah, I'd, no. yeah, I'd forgotten about the fact that the um, the impregnation bit because it's weirdly it's weirdly is set up, isn't it? The whole where's where's uh, where's his body? Yes, um, I mean, there's have no, you seen there's no, the there's no blood version? I have years ago now. Yeah, yeah, but there's that whole thing. There's no blood. He's just gone, which is yeah, actually yeah. weird thing to leave hanging without any resolution. It just uh, she's taking yeah. him away and eating him because if we don't see anything else happen. 
uh, yeah, but in a way that does help because it, it adds to the mystery. But yeah, like you say, it's strange that it's then not resolved. But apparently mm. they were going to keep that scene in towards the end. But um, Scott felt that it, um, it it just killed the pace towards the end. And it's strange how there's a, exactly a deliberately similar echoing scene of that at the end of Aliens mm. where Ripley's running through the, the hive and she finds... Uh, Burke, Paul Reiser mm. who's been cocooned um, and they cut it from the sequence for exactly the same reason yeah, because, yeah. Also that, you know, she's aliens, running for a life yeah, and also in Aliens that's a double beat because we've already had mm. what is it, a goddamn town meeting and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. we've already had the everyone's there and yeah, it's just fine that Burke's been killed there's no need yeah. to have him yet, to get, yet another person who uh, needs needs executing to save them we've already yes, had that yes. so i could see why they cut that but yeah 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 no it would have been a whole different well not a whole different film but it would have yeah yeah well they didn't the cut we mm. have is uh is this one but i yes, don't think, I, I, I don't think it would I, have hurt it at all to uh to answer that little why why was his body yeah uh, they could have answered it somehow some other way um yeah. um I, I think the extended cuts is Ridley Scott's preferred version now, but of course it would be. But you know, mm. but on the other hand, um, I'm sure he'd probably change it further if he could as well, as he did with Blade Runner. Maybe all those times. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what's your what's your next pick? Well, my number three dovetails nicely with yours, which is the score. Mm. Oh yeah. Um and uh. There's a slight caveat to it. This movie was uh, one of the movies which made me really take notice of uh, the musical scores in films and music in general, actually. And weirdly, the other movies which had the same effect on me at the same time were the Star Trek movies. Mm -hmm. And the first three Star Trek movies, like the first two Alien films either have music by Jerry Goldsmith or James Horner. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what Goldsmith does in Alien, there's a certain amount of uh, the kind of space romance that he does in Star Trek, mm -hmm. but just tamped down uh, um, with this absolutely terrifying otherworldliness, which if you then, as I did... Um, go to Goldsmith's other work and take notice. You know, he's he really loves that bonkers dissonant um orchestral craziness. The Planet of the Apes score is all of that from yeah. start to finish. Um but I think in Alien it's it's uh, just such a perfect mix. Um I think that uh, connecting to what you said about the sound design there are parts where you think, is that a sound effect or is that part of the score? I mean, you know, there's um, there's a kind of uh, doomy um, drone, almost like a distant wind that's in both Alien and Aliens. That's sort of like... And, yeah. and I think mentally I associate it with the scenes on the planet, like it's part of the atmosphere yeah. of the planet. But then when I was re-watching uh, the, um, the, the, uh, 
my, uh, my lucky star scene that we just discussed um, I noticed that um, when the alien comes out of the ducting in that scene that sound effect comes back with it mm. you've got that kind of uh, and I you know I, I think that's that must therefore be something that Goldsmith did bring to it um, also this was the first CD I ever bought this soundtrack or not bought because I didn't buy it I was given it for Christmas at the age of about 15 mm-hmm. um, and it's an absolutely terrifying experience just sitting and listening to this music and it's even more frightening than the film um or, or, well it's there are parts of it there are parts of the soundtracks you may you may know ian that aren't in the movie right um, yeah they, they mocked around with it extremely um and goldsmith was quite irritated but uh, uh, you know if you if you look at the interview with him on the dvd um, he talks about how he wrote uh, he was definitely going throughout the whole score for this kind of more romantic feel mm. which he thought would be would counterintuitively work because the movie isn't at all romantic and it, um, mm. and you know it doesn't really go with that kind of space truckers vibe mm. but he didn't want to lay things on too thick and I think he also wanted to mean that uh, work it so that the frightening stuff when it came was really powerful mm. um, so he wrote this kind of romantic overture that went over the opening credits and the producers basically went oh no do it again not scary enough and he has this quote where he says he spent about a day writing the score for the opening credits and then they didn't like it so he wrote another one in 10 minutes <laughs> and and it is basically just the one on the movie is just like two or three notes isn't it mm-hmm. it's just like it does i i can see their point though because i i love his i love that sort of moving kind of sad romantic stuff especially when it's at the end because it kind of says we're in space and space is big and and it's kind of it's kind of but there is something brilliant about the opening saying scary movie yes um, but also <laughs> well no go on um, well, no no just i'm just saying because it basically is very unsettling and brilliant and yeah and, I, and i'd say you know your, your you know your opening shot of a movie sound and shot and everything is is uh is all important yeah, yeah. And, and it's a spaceship with some spooky music and it makes you go this isn't star wars yeah yeah this is a haunted house. it's a haunted house floating in space basically uh, and what you say is correct he doesn't just do it he does it brilliantly um and i love the way the the score is made up of those kind of atonal mm. thumps and sounds and so a lot of the opening titles is just a thing going like an echoing, dun, 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 dun. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, and that kind of happens throughout, uh, and mm. um, a weird sound that kind of like sounds like bones being hit together. Yeah, um, uh, and it's it's just fantastic. Um, but th- apparently, um, they do cut down some of the scarier music as well because when once the movie really kind of goes full on kind of monster movie. 
he lets rip with that stuff um and he really goes for it there's some genuinely spine chilling terrifying sounds that come mm. out of that orchestra um and the producers cut a lot of it mm. because uh, they thought it was already really scary it didn't need to be underlined mm. and it would kind of push it into the realms of parody um and and they may have been right at certain points but i do think that he wrote this um nice um intense piece called acid test for the for the bit mm. where they um they try and extract uh the face hogger from kane's head mm. um uh yeah, for, uh, release it rather, and and it mm. bleeds acid, which then he's. That's the that's board. one of my that's my next choice. In fact, is uh, okay. Well, um, well, Segan's it's a segue into it. I need well, to we'll go. Yeah, yeah. Like well, just to, I'll, I'll finish what <laughs> I'm saying about the music here yeah. then. But um, uh, yeah. So in the movie, they they put on this kind of weird um, uh, underscore to it, which is almost a bit comedic. Um, and uh, and I think maybe they should have stuck with what he wrote in on that occasion. I also think he wrote a wonderful end title, which I've listened to so much now. I always think about it uh, when I think about this movie. I hear that music, mm. and then when I watch the movie, they replaced it entirely with some source music. Um, this kind of warm uh, orchestral. Uh, swell um, and it's beautiful in its own way but I, I, I wish they'd stuck with what Jerry Goldsmith wrote yeah um, well I must but, say I, I know the soundtrack well because I quite often have it on loop when I'm writing right because it's it's weird because quite a lot of horror movies they sound great but you can't work you can't work to them because right, right. Like, ah, what the fuck's going on um, <laughs> yeah but this is this is one that I just have on loop and it's yes and it's uh it's kind of creepy and atmospheric but at the same time i can't you know it's kind of relaxing enough so it's uh yeah yeah no no it's uh it's uh it's an amazing an amazing soundtrack yeah he, is. he, he was a master and you know he he had a long career and in fact all of the alien movies were made well before we get to kind of Alien versus Predator and that, that kind of era of it, but all of the Ripley Alien movies were made within Jerry Goldsmith's lifetime. Mm. Um, and I was always surprised that he never came back or it was never asked back. But oddly, mm. after he died, um, Ridley Scott seemed to change his mind about Goldsmith's music and the more romantic themes because mm. those those pieces are more prevalent in prometheus and alien covenant than they probably were in alien right. it does use them a lot and actually um this is totally off topic i guess but of all the later alien movies alien covenant is the one which has the the, the greatest musical score that sounds like this and sounds like alien that has a yeah. wonderful balance between that kind of romance but also yeah the, well, yeah, Prometheus just... and Covenant. I also work to their soundtracks as well, and I can't right. stand the films. 
hate right. films, but um, but the music's great. And uh, yeah, I I don't know the Prometheus one, but I certainly agree with with Covenant, and I've yeah, listened yeah. to that score a lot. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, but uh, moving on to my next one. Um, like yeah. I said, I I I mean, it's there's so many good scenes, but uh, I do love. I think we take it for granted now, but the whole acid for blood thing is just genius. But it's a really yes. good shock, you know. Oh, it's going to be icky. And you, there's so many things in this that we take for granted that you just like put yourself in the, you know, in the mind of someone who doesn't who's seeing this in 1979. It does so many cool things. Not just that there's a, you know, the fact that Ash is an android is like the least surprising of them. That's a pretty good twist. There's acid yeah. for blood. They think it's dead it's burst out of his chest and then it's grown to, into this massive, uh, massive uh, alien. Uh, all these different things it does. And it doesn't do them. It's weird because on paper, you'd maybe go, this is just making up as it goes along. Um, but actually, it, but it, because it happens so organically and feels convincing, it's just a masterpiece of, of like, you know, of, uh, of, of imaginative, uh, fiction because it feels like a real organism that they don't know how it works and yeah, yeah, yeah. the fact is the audience doesn't so in a weird way they are just literally making it up because that's, that's what it is it's made up but it feels it feels like a life cycle that makes sense yeah it, well it's, it feels like you know and it's I don't think we understand it fully, but it feels like it, it's got a logic to it, mm. um, you know, that we're not quite privy to. But, yeah, yeah. The, the layers of defence and, and the way that the um, the different forms of the alien transmit the egg from, you know, from inside the shell to inside the host yeah. um, and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I think it is a great scene the the acid blood scene i i love the way um just the effects are actually incredible the acid effect yeah but i was just i was also going to say it looks great but also it's a really good another little thing is it's something that's happening so it's so it's a so it's you know it's 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 a piece of plot happening but it's it's working on so many different levels and one of the levels is it shows you all the levels it's a really good way of showing you the geography of this how big the spaceship is and yeah yeah you know so you see so you get this real feeling that you know there's so many decks and the, you know it's, it's a reminder of that feels like it's such a real place doesn't it this, yeah absolutely. this airfix kit we see basically going by in uh in space um you know the great big model mm. and it just feels like a real big massive big thing and because we see quite a lot of it or, you know, it feels like a real place that they're in. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and the and the acid, the acid the acid burning through is a really good sort of uh, thing, but it's weird as well because it doesn't actually come into play again in the film, does it? That it's that's actually, true, actually. Good point. It's because that's something that's massive, massively in Aliens. It's mm. the whole acid for blood, um, but actually. It doesn't come into play at all. So as a plot device, it's just it's got acid for blood, but it doesn't spray acid on anyone. It certainly for some reason it doesn't spit acid like it does in other films. Um, <laughs> yes, 
<laughs> in other shit films. Um, this alien doesn't seem to vomit acid on people. Um, well, I, I guess it's just there to underline how... How alien that, it is. But yeah. Not just how alien, but how dangerous. You know, you can't even, you can't shoot this thing, even though they don't have guns anyway, really. No, you no. Know, you, you've got to be careful what you do to it, because yeah, if you yeah. knock something off it, it can cause untold damage. Um, and it is uncompromising throughout the film that, you know, the alien is never damaged. It's never in a... You know, Ripley has to, to blow it out of the airlock. Yeah. Um, and then fire the, the the retro rockets at it when it crawls into the to the rocket um, yeah. kind of silo, but we don't see that that kills it. It just no, floats no. away, you know. And and they do succeed in selling the idea of this invincible, as Ash describes it, perfect organism. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that they don't it because a lot of stories of this type do set up something as being really powerful but then you have to have an ending where the heroes yeah. win so something happens uh, and too often it, it's mm. like they, they kind of take back one of those rules um, yeah. but Alien doesn't take anything back and that's you know, yeah, yeah. One of the, yeah 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 they... the sequels do potentially but you know but for, not, for not, the the same, not, the, not the only sequel that counts the uh but no. we mustn't go in, we mustn't go into the future but uh but yeah but the uh, but that's why aliens is such a good film because it 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 doesn't it respects this film that we're discussing completely yes um, and and listener Ian and I talked at length about that a while ago the, the yeah. link to that episode will be in the show notes if you want to an alien three there. and I think when we do Covenant and Prometheus, should we do them as one podcast? Because I don't think I could bear doing them as a separate podcast. Uh, that might be reasonable. Uh, well, that, it will be, it will that be interesting will be sometime in the future. Because I, I've only seen them both once, and I might be completely wrong. I had a student, uh, this is a sort of sidebar, but I had a student um, a couple of years ago, and, you know, God bless people, they're new and they're young, so they're completely mm. unhindered. And she was like, so I've just, you know, I'm, I'm getting to watch all these films, and I, I, I decided to watch all of the, all of the Alien films, and and I just, what's your favourite Alien film? Because people are laughing at me for for mine. I went, well, it's Alien and Aliens, and and she went, I just love Covenant, and uh, uh -huh. she, that was that. Uh, she just sat down and watched them all over a few days, and Covenant was like the where they really got it right for her. Absolutely <laughs> loved it. <laughs> And she's watched yeah. it over and over again, and the others weren't. So she, you know, so maybe I'm completely wrong, or it, maybe it's, it's what you maybe, want. Or maybe it's it. But that's something to talk about in the future. But maybe it's the expectation. Maybe they won't be as bad now. I know what happens in them. Yeah. But then I thought um, that Alien Three when they'd killed Newt um, and Hicks, and I still what? ruined the film from at the beginning. But anyway, well, they're already covered in other podcasts. But yes, yeah, so yeah we, we will come to in the, the future. Acid, the acid chase, chasing the acid. But actually, yeah, what what I really wrote down actually is because uh, my one of my favourite little lines is, "Here, have your pen back." Yes, I was going to say that because it, 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 it's not. I mean, in Stanton's. <laughs> on top of everything else, that scene is a great character scene, and the way yeah, yeah. Uh, Parker says, "Don't get under it." Yeah, yeah, it's just really nice, you know. 
they don't all get on very well. But... It's another thing that, you know, because it's such a weird make-believe thing, but everyone's reacting in real ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. don't get under it. Like, they have no idea what's going on, but, it, you know, it feels completely convincing that this is what it's like if you've seen find an alien dripping acid through your spaceship. Yeah, this is and, kind of and... how you run around panicking, trying to deal with things, with people shouting and, and... at each other. It's another example of how they're relatable as co-workers. You know, they don't necessarily mm. like each other that much. Mostly they've got their own little cliques. Mm. Um, but they don't wish each other ill either on the, on the whole. They care about each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, but there, there is a lovely comedy moment where <laughs> Tom Skirt says, what have you got a pen there? And he uses Parker's pen to yeah. probe the acid. Hole yeah, yeah, yeah. and then gives it back to him. Yeah, so, yeah. like thanks very much. Yeah, yeah. No, it's brilliant. So, what's your penultimate pick then? So, uh, my number two. Well, seeing as we're talking about Harry Dean Stanton in that moment, so that's my, my last two, pick as well. But um, so well, you can you, you can tell me if it's the Pacific same pick. Um, it's the death of Brett. Okay. Two. Um. Because mine I think... is in that scene, but okay. To go well, let's talk about let's talk about it next then. Okay, so yeah, um... well, that, that's so that's my final that's my final pick. So okay, uh, so yes, so no. let's swap around. So well, so my actual my actual my actual pick, yeah, on the granular level is just the way he takes his cap off and puts his and and is all sweaty and puts his head under the water. Okay. Just, I just, I mean, it's just like it just epitomizes why Harry Dean Stanton is so amazing in this film. But I just always like that taking his hat off. It feels so real. It's a bit like, um, I don't know, it's, 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 it's when you see something on film that just makes you go, "That I can feel that," because that's what you know. Taking your hat off yeah. when you're sweaty and getting water when you, it's like when you see a character put bare feet on a nice warm carpet or something. You just, yeah. you kind of. It puts something in your brain, but I also think I mean you're this is this is your scene for your pick, but I also think what we were sort of talking about before about the way they the way they sort of the dance they play with the audience of of when the jumps are gonna come when the deaths are gonna come, who's gonna get killed when because mm-hmm. I mean this is your pick, isn't it, but to me it's very this this is this is almost the cheesiest it gets. This is the don't go down into the cellar. It's just go and get the cat. Okay, I'll yeah, go and yeah. get the cat by myself. So this is the scene where you know who's going to die. Yes. Or do you? Although, because, or, do no, you? or do you? Because they've been quite clever, so maybe it's going to be a. So so that's the dance they're playing. But, but also, as, as um, a person, you're probably there going, "Oh, this is going to be a false scare," or is it? Or is it? So you're there on the edge of your seat, basically. Well, I, I try and put myself into the mind of viewers, uninformed viewers in 79 who didn't mm. know what the alien, the fully grown alien looked like. That's um, true as well, what yeah. they're expecting, you know, it's last time they saw it was a little uh, little penis shaped yeah, monster yeah. on a table. Um, and that's what they've been hunting for, you know, they've been expecting that. Yeah, and yeah. Um, So in a way, they probably think it's maybe less dangerous than the cats. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so yeah, so log- logically, logically, yeah, you just don't know what's coming next with this film. But it, at the same time, you don't go what. 
because it doesn't feel arbitrary or made up it doesn't yeah. feel, it doesn't feel like for the sake of it it's it's got its own logic and so you go oh yeah it's massive now and at no yeah. point i mean there's a really good podcast you should put a link to um science versus fiction um okay which is a, i mean they're all, all there it's a scientist and a film critic in america and all their all their episodes are worth listening to but their one on alien is really good because they love the film but they're but the scientist is going this life form makes no sense this life form makes no sense you cannot possibly like what's he been eating yes yes you, to have to have to to grow that big that quickly it must have been eating there must be a supply of rats or something it mm-hmm. just it just you know but they're kind of picking it apart in an amusing way and the, and the yeah. same way as they go why why do spaceships have self-destruct mechanisms what's the possible uh, internal logic of a self-destruct <laughs> yes yes <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, like question. do you have self-destruct on battleships no you don't <laughs> but also with the um on oil rigs no oil rigs don't have self-destruct mechanisms <laughs> With the aliens' biology, that's part of the the mystery and the way they've deliberately yeah. not explained things, which maybe do get over-explained later in other movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, so some people think that the alien is like a, a bio-weapon that's been engineered, so it's meant to do that. Mm. But who knows, you know, it just, we, we've just got very little information yeah, yeah. Um, about it. Um, but the wonderful thing is you're not expecting it also... Um, I love that it subverts the cat scare thing mm. because even though I'm not sure how often... Well, I, I think that there are cat scares not unnaturally in cat people, which was the 40s. So I think you know horror movies have probably been using cats to generate false scares for a long time, and they mm-hmm. still are. And in fact, Alien does. In the previous scene, the cat appears, and it's a jump scare when you think it's going to be the alien. And yeah. then when when they when the alien uh, does appear when Brett is looking for the cat, the alien doesn't appear until after the cat has appeared again. And in fact, the cat sees the alien first. Mm-hmm. And I love the way the framing of it happens. So you know you see the cat emerging from its um, cranny that it's been hiding in. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it cuts to a close up of Brett looking at it, and you just see part of the alien come past behind him out of focus yeah no it's brilliant you don't you can't even really make out which bit of the creature it is probably probably the tail but mm-hmm. you know and the in fact again like you said before you know you we know what the alien looks like now because we're so used to it but if there had been only this one film what would you have put together in your head that the alien looked like because you don't get a full view of it until it basically until it's fired out of the ship at the end no i mean you know, it's just well, I, a I, load I, of bits i guess you see i guess you i guess when it kills brett you see that it's big and it's lifted him up and it's a big black shape and it's yeah, bipedal yeah. and it's got arms so so that's enough that's enough to go in well, monster yeah well you don't i don't think you even see his legs at that point though yeah. So you don't really know how it walks. You can, you can tell that it's being played by a man, and it's it's kind of humanoid in shape from the, in the top half. But at the same time, you don't really know how it's moving. You don't really know how the tail really works. Yeah. Um. So, uh, they are just trying to, um, 
kind of limit your view of it and and turn it into a kind of um a jigsaw puzzle thing mm. so you just get hints um mm. which is why different designers worked on different bits of of the creature and and stuff in many ways i i really respect and kind of prefer what james cameron did in, in the second one which is just going look you know what it looks like we've only got it it's dancers dressed as monsters we've only got a few of them you'll see them but they're going to move really fast and jump around it's it'll be great um whereas alien is a bit like it's it, certain parts of it seem like they're going it's not really a man in a suit really and they're desperately trying to kind of hide the fact that it's a man in a suit but then at points a couple of points you, well, you it's, tell that it it's is back to jaws in space it's uh yeah it's all about the creepiness and the, this yeah, alien and, is definitely a lot lot slower than yes. uh, than they are when we see them in aliens. Hey, sorry, I just kicked my microphone. Um, yes, um, but it does uh, the, like Jaws. The fact that the monster is a bit flawed when you get a good view of it doesn't matter. That's right at the end of the movie. No, no, um, but also I don't know. think it, I don't think it's flawed you don't go oh wish i hadn't wish they hadn't yeah like the shark is does look crap like right in in jaws there's no getting away from that it looks crap and kids laugh at it when they see the movie now whereas i show alien to my kids and they don't go that looks mm. crap it's 1979 and the alien doesn't look crap that's pretty amazing no uh, i mean that's <laughs> true although what well, I've always, I've never minded the shark in Jaws, to be honest. Well, I don't, I don't mind it because it's like an amazing film. But if you actually look at it and you watch it through the, when you watch it with someone who's not invested mm -hmm. in it and they're just watching it as a movie, they mm -hmm. get the bit with Jaws and Quint's about to get eaten and they go, ah! <laughs> look at that, oh, dear. It's rubbish. I still find that chilling, but I guess I, that's me. I yeah, guess yeah, I yeah. always will. But they, well, but they no, do the I, same I, with like you know some of those effects and the exorcist, so you know. Yeah, and the other thing about idiot. the alien is that um, uh, this helps it in a way because we know that the alien is a humanoid thing because we've you know we, we've got a good look at it in the other movies. Mm. We don't. It doesn't matter that it, there are points where it's clearly humanoidish um, in this movie, and you can see that it moves in a, in a slightly human-like way and all that that's fine i just it just makes me think that they were desperate to not give that impression mm. in this movie and there's just a couple of moments towards the end where they they show slightly too much but but it's not really a criticism because it works fine um, no no but also but, right at the end i think i mean there's just some it's just it's a genius film the bit where they its head is weird and bulbous and just lying on its side yes and you know the whole bit you were talking about before, where mm. she, she realizes it's in the ship and it's having a rest. For, luckily, um, yes. <laughs> having a yes. rest, and she even has to wake it up. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's just something about that head that is very alien and slightly disturbing. And uh, yes. I guess the only bit that struck struck me was the claws look like someone's with a glove on. Yes, yes. So that, that's the you that's the main bit to me that looks a bit. Oh, there's some gloves, but you know we're really picking apart a movie from 1979. 
But also the bit where you get Which... a look at the claw is that amazing jump scare where she she's not noticed it's there and she just yeah, pushes yeah. the button. No, it made, me, made, me, just... made me jump yesterday, uh, the day before yesterday when I watched it. It literally made me jump. Yeah, it's, Which it's is fantastic. Pretty, pretty amazing. Also, just the design. I mean, you, you can't um, say enough about the design in, in Alien and yeah, yeah. the great artists. Yeah, neither of us has picked that because it's just so obvious, isn't it? But Yeah. But um, just, amazing. But just the, the fact that when the alien is secreted in that section at the end, um, it looks like part of the ship, which is a massive coincidence because mm. they're on the escape shuttle. It was not designed by whoever made the alien, but it's the piping and everything mm. matches the alien's head exactly. So, you know, it's completely credible that Ripley would go would not notice that although maybe a bit weird that she doesn't know the design of the ship but <laughs> but it is only the escape pod i suppose and maybe you wouldn't spend a lot of time in it yeah um it's not an escape pod yeah. though is it it's a shuttle because there's that whole bit where it's, oh yeah that's they, right they can't uh, all fit the, in it yeah and it's the place where dallas goes to relax yeah. there's a lot of great we've got a mining sitting in there yeah we've got a mining craft um got a mining craft with a self-destruct option but we haven't got enough lifeboats for the whole crew. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. There's where the internal internal logic. Uh, well, that's the yeah, but the Titanic made the same mistake, and that was real. That's so. true. Well, you could also yeah, you could also say it is also you know the sin of the movie is is corporate. Yeah. Read. So of yeah. course nothing quite works, and everything's a bit crap, and there's not enough room. Yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, all right, Ian. So um. I've just noticed the time, so we better get on to our last. Yeah, yeah, your your choices. your final pick. Um, well, should we go right to mine? To my favourite scene, my my number one yeah, is yeah. the reveal of the space jockey. Oh yeah. Um, just them uh, entering that chamber in in the crashed spaceship, and the way you've got that that tight close up of John Hurt as he looks over the ridge. Um and see something unspeakable and uh, and looks kind of awestruck and mm. then you have the long shot pulling back to reveal the space jockey on its seat and that's one of the shots where I think Ridley Scott employed his own children to play miniature spacemen in um. the background to make the perspective to force the perspective a bit and make everything seem bigger and it just looks incredible um it, yeah, and again, linking back to things we've already said about, so you've got the score in that sequence is amazing. The way, um, as soon as it cuts to the wide shot, you've got that da dung da dung da dung, and then and then the strings come in, the vibrating strings. Yeah. Um, and that's when you listen to that just on its own, it's it's really flesh creeping. Mm. Um, also, the wonderful moment for Lambert. Um, and that great line where she says that the thing which could have saved everybody's lives and is the right thing to say. Mm -hmm. She just says, let's get the hell out of here. Well, Lambert, it's weird seeing Ripley because, you know, we, we think of Ripley as uh, let's take off and nuke the place from orbit, but maybe she's been informed by the fact that there's that scene where Lambert goes, yeah, we get the shuttle and we blow this fucking thing up and we, uh, yeah, leave, yeah. we leave. Yeah, and yeah. Ripley goes, no, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, uh, it is actually Lambert's plan that Ripley ends up doing yeah, yeah. in the movie. So. Yeah, yeah. No, brilliant. Oh, Lambert. 
But yeah, I've uh, not, and, Veronica and Cartwright just... lives in Bristol. Does she really? Yeah, according to uh, the the internet, she's seventy three years old at time of recording and lives in Bristol. Oh, fantastic! So, uh, which is yeah, she'll have some stories to tell. You should look her up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and and just the final bit about that scene, the way the end of the scene is a a, a dimly lit close up on the face of the dead alien. Mm-hmm. It just lingers on it for ages. Mm-hmm. And then that's the last time you see it. You know, it's it's the last time you see it until the movie Prometheus. <laughs> but it just, it, it it's the mystery, the sense of all the kind of Lovecraftian ancient mystery of it. Yeah. Uh, it's just beautifully achieved in that scene. Yeah. And I love that the movie doesn't go back to it at all. It doesn't explore that. It just leaves, you know, it leaves you with that dreadful implication you know um, Dallas mm. looking down at his chest and saying like he exploded from inside yeah yeah uh, and, and you can completely understand why Lambert would instantly go let's just go home let's yeah, forget yeah. about well, this the whole it exploded from inside and then just yeah then it just sort of zooms in on the mm. on the terror that's on that alien's face yeah yeah and, and then it goes to black and that is you know, it's brilliant foreshadowing of you're all gonna die. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is coming for you. But yeah, yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's and, your number one in? No, no, we've had my number one, haven't we? Because I oh, oh, sorry, I, I thought you were first. Well, uh, I Harry, D- Harry Dean's more. Harry Dean's Stanton was uh, one, two, three, four. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, no, 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 five. Yeah, no, I've had my five. All right. Oh, okay. I've had Veronica Cartwright, sound design, the acid chase, Ash, do your, you do your job and I'll do mine. And then finally, Harry Dean Stanton taking his hat off. Okay. Segwayed into yours. Yeah. So, uh, and that is the line that I was trying to remember. You do your job and let me do mine. Yes. Yeah. 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 It is also, and also the milk drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, that's uh, wonderful. So Yeah, yeah. Listener, those are our top five, or rather our top ten of wonderful things from Alien, although we could probably pick another ten. Oh, we certainly if, could. Um, <laughs> we certainly and it, could. Watching bits of it again did make me think, you know, I need to watch this. So yeah. it's one of those movies that I've I've watched regularly all my life. And even like when Alien vs. Predator came out, not that one, uh, Requiem, the sequel to Alien vs. Predator, which is just dreadful. Um, yeah, I don't. I, it was laughable. Um, but I came home and I put the DVD of Alien on. I was like, no, this is still fantastic. It's and then still... when Prometheus came out, and it was, um, you know, let's say problematic, especially because it was Ridley Scott. But then you put on the DVD of Alien, and you go, no. It's absolutely fantastic. It's pretty much flawless. Um, and I need to do that every few years, I think. so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah. Anyway, we should probably wrap up, get into our... Yes. Get into the I think, old Freezerinos. Yeah, indeed. Back to the old <laughs> Freezerinos. God bless Brett. Um, so before we finish up... Um, Ian, have you got anything that you'd like to recommend at the moment? 
Um, I've got a couple of things to mention. I probably well, I've I haven't got anything to recommend other than I've just got I've just got my Ghost Watch Blu-ray, and I'm oh, looking forward to uh, a rewatching it because I haven't seen that for a long, long time, and also uh, also then watching it with our own Stella's commentary, which is wonderful. It's yeah. very cool. Yeah. I shared, I shared, I shared that on Twitter the other day. I don't know if you saw our, our, right. our pod. Well, I tagged in Stephen Volk and Stella, and Stephen retweeted it, but just with a link to uh, our episode when we all uh, oh, interviewed interviewed Stephen. That Blu-ray does have a very strong whiff of our podcast because it's not just Stella and Stephen Volk, but also Rob Savage is on there as well. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I don't think we can take credit for uh, Rob Savage being in touch with Stephen. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just no, saying no. you reminded me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But no, it's a wonderful uh, set. It really is. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I put links to it the other week. Um, I recommend it to anyone. But also, you've got. I. I guess you've never read the short story. No, um, no. I was. I was. Um, Thirty-one ten. Have you? No, no. I started reading it today. I'm gonna in my. Uh, but I've. I've managed to just open it and look at right. things, and at some it's, point, I'll oh, it is digest. lovely, and the, uh, the the booklet of essays is very nice as well. So yeah, yeah, I've read those are good that I've read. Um, okay, so just a couple of things I wanted to mention in terms of recommendation, listener, when this episode drops, which um, I think will be on the twenty fifth, you've got about twenty four hours, maybe a bit more. To watch the mist, which is on all four at the moment, Channel Four streaming. The movie, not the TV series. Yeah, the movie. I I've not seen the series. I I had to review the TV series, and and I could see why it didn't get renewed, but I'd also quite liked it. Like spinning out the mist idea into a TV series, kind of worked. I mean, it's trashy as all hell as well, but it was kind of. I still I could have watched another season of it. Right, um, okay, but it's uh, yeah. um, but anyway, but um, I love I love the movie, and I can imagine oh, the movie's it being amazing. spun out. The movie's amazing to an extent. The, you know, I if you can find a way to keep that tension going for several more hours, I'd watch it. I can imagine that. I just don't know if uh, you could do it as a ten-hour TV series, or especially a multi-season TV series. But you know, um, yeah, but, no, they, they find they find a way of basically. It happens, and it's basically it's almost like, I guess, a bit like the zombie apocalypse, right? Has happened. It's a bit like, well, this has happened, so we're all trying to survive in it. So they they eke it out basically, but in in quite a good way, I think. I could see, I, I could appreciate, but um, but it it wasn't to be past season right. one. But it's, I'd still say fans fans should watch it. But yeah, it's no, it's not a patch on the amazing movie, which is like, yeah, I think. Is that the best Stephen King adaptation apart from The Shining? It's probably up there. There's a few good ones now, aren't there? It's not like when I was growing up, it was kind of a truism that there were no good Stephen King films. Yeah. But now there are a few. Um, but yeah, I, I can't think. Well, of yeah, there's mis- misery always gets. We always forget because it's not a. Well, the, the kind of rule is that if it's a supernatural story, it's a bad film. 
but the yeah. films based on his non-supernatural stories tend to be good, you know, like yeah, Stand yeah. By Me and things like that. But, um, but then but there's, no, the Mist then there's, is in- Then there's Dreamcatcher. Oh, yeah, I've not seen that, but I've, uh, I've heard enough about something it. Something slipped through, and it's people having alien diarrhea. <laughs> yes. Oh, Tagline yeah. is something That's... slipped through. Oh, my good God. <laughs> that is... Oh, gee, that's a pitch. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, anyway, if you've not seen The Mist, do check it out. It's yeah. absolutely wonderful. And, and, and a, movie, I a, keep... a movie, I, the most horror-related thing I did watch the other day, because mm. it was a gap, so lots of our listeners probably have already beat me to it, but just I finally watched Veronica, the, uh, I... the scary... Uh, Spanish Ouija board, sort of Spain's answer to The Exorcist, and it's. Oh, actually, I don't know about that one. Oh, it's on Netflix right now, and it's it's yeah. it's it's been hyped up as the scariest movie ever made yet again, but it's actually just generally really well made, right? Sort of naturalistic, you know, teenage girl possessed after doing a Ouija board, which sounds exactly like The uh, Exorcist, doesn't it? But it's got a bit more to that, and it's got it's got a lot of the sort of inherent. Catholicism of Spain in it, and it's and it's a Spanish language movie. Oh God, yeah, go and watch it. It's a, you know, it's a ninety minutes, and it's done, and it's got, it's brilliant. But yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a sort of massive hit thanks to a global hit thanks to Netflix. Right. Okay. So you maybe think maybe that's not such a bad thing to recommend. Yeah, I, it's sure uh, it's five years it's five years old, but uh, but yeah, right. Still doing the round. Have I never heard of it? I don't so, know. Okay. Yeah, it's, called, um, it's just called Veronica, and it's got it's got a blind nun in it. It's uh, which is which is a bit dodgy because people being scared of people with disabilities is is very old school. Mm. But um, but at the same time, the 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 nun who's blind is also a goodie. So uh, that's kind of cool. Okay. So yeah, definitely go and watch that. Let me know what you think next pod. All right. Yeah. Oh, nice one, man. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's a good shout. And I just want to mention the other thing I've been watching two years after everyone else is something that you recommended a while, a good while ago, which is Russell T Davies's "It's a Sin." Oh, um, did you cry and, a lot? Um, I've not, I've not cried yet, but it is deep. I've not, I've not finished it yet, but it is deeply sad at points. And to be honest, um. I, I, we discussed when we were talking about it before that you know obviously it's not really horror it is about a deeply horrifying subject oh yeah though. um and for that reason i was kind of scared to watch it actually um don't be scared yeah. to watch it it's full of joy and full of life but it it it, it, yeah. it will crush your heart um oh, but i i did want to mention it on this podcast because the, the relevance to a horror fan as far as i can see is that the one weird detail about it is that the lead character is called Richie Tozer. Do you remember that? Played yeah. Ali Alexander. And I, and every time I hear his name, I think about the character. Well, this this is a, a good circular link. I think about the character Rich, Richie Tozier from Stephen King's It. Right. I just think that, that name's just too similar. <laughs> um, well, well. Uh... I wonder so, if, like the, the 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 new movie of it was out when when he was writing the script and that like, just yeah, kind yeah. of went in by osmosis. Maybe, um, maybe, but, but um, yeah, oh, it's it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm it right. is. 
I'm, I'm and well, by the way, well overdue a rewatch of that. As a recommendation, everybody, that show is on um, all four as well. And I think we'll stay there because they're yeah. so proud of it. If it's I on BritBox, it's... if you don't like adverts and you pay for BritBox, watch it on BritBox. But if, if you can get it for free on all four. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it is wonderful, well, and it's, uh, and I love the fact that it's kind of proudly filmed in Manchester, even though it's set in London. They don't Chester. even really try to. Sorry, there's a bit in Chester as well because. All oh, right. There's a bit in the cathedral which is sort of being pretending to be the Houses of Parliament corridors, and I was like, I've been to a wedding reception there. That's not the Houses <laughs> of Parliament. <laughs> that's that's Chester, Chester right. Cathedral. But yeah, no, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant yeah. show. One of the best Fantastic. British television programmes of, you know, like literally of all time, for my money. It's kind of up there in the annals of British television. Will will be added on the end to, to you know, to uh, the usual, like, Edge of Darkness and all those mm. sort of things. And then It's a Sin <laughs> and Our Friends yeah. in the North and all those things. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Anyway. On that note, then, it's kind of on that rather non-horrific note, but a note of real enthusiasm, which there's been a lot of in this episode. Yeah. We'll say goodbye for this week. Thank you very much for yeah. listening, friends. And we'll be back to discuss more horror and horror-adjacent stuff in the future. Thank you, Ian, for your enthusiasm and, and your insights. Yeah, cheers, man. It's, it's uh, just... I love this film again. <laughs> no, and uh, I, I love that you've taken my suggestion that we just ramble nonsensically about Alien without a structure and turned it into something really interesting. Yeah. A, a rundown of, of those many great elements. Yeah. So we'll, and we mm-hmm. shall talk about other Alien films at a later yeah. date. I'm sure that we'll come back to this from time to time. Yeah, well, we've, so we've, thanks, we've got to bite the bullet and... Uh do Prometheus and Covenant probably if we do them while uh, they're on Disney then I don't have to go and buy the bastards (laughs) (laughs) that's a good compromise (laughs) Ian I read the book that's anyway we'll get into that fade Um, out fade out I, I look forward I look forward to actually gleefully talking about the android playing your flute (laughs) <laughs> my head against the wall while I'm doing it. <laughs> oh dear, we all look. Where can we go that? from this sublime piece of cinema to? Oh, there's an android playing a fucking flute. <laughs> Very pretentious. Ah, oh, God. Dear. Oh well. Oh. Not on that. <laughs> well, well, I'm I'm gonna fade you down on that. Yeah, it's... fucking flute. <laughs> fucking android playing a fucking flute. What was he thinking? <laughs> you have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited Presented by Ian Winterton and T.D. Velasquez Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web 
www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at AndNowPod or at LeeCushingPod. Follow us on Twitter at AndNowPodcast or at LeeCushingPodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast. And now the podcast stops.